Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 18th of October. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, one month to smash the cash ban, IMF's $19 trillion time bomb, and Syria is the first country to defeat the greatest evil of our time, regime change. So first, one month to smash the cash ban. Craig, mm -hmm. this is the 18th of October, so the 15th of November is the deadline for submissions. So it's less than one month, technically, I've rounded it up, yep. that for the public to make to the Senate inquiry into the cash ban. That's not very much time, right? And I want to emphasise, um, they gave us two months to do it. If you haven't done it yet, do it. This is very, very important. And when you make your submission, Robbie, I think it's very important that people call for public inquiry. Absolute public hearings. A public court. That's hearings, right. Yeah. They should. This has to be fully open yeah. and transparent. Um, the reason you've just said that, Craig, is because we were just informed this morning that another inquiry we've talked about, the yeah. audit, the inquiry into the auditors, which is also very important, we'll be holding public hearings. Yeah. Right. And though it changes, it, it shows the inquiries are much more serious. Demand the same thing for this submission. Now we got over four thousand submissions to the Treasury. We know that. Right. Um, and that made a world of difference. It, made, it sent the Treasury back underground. They've got, they haven't revealed what the submissions yet. They haven't published them. Um, uh, we might come up with some ideas of how we can publish those submissions. But um, if, you've made a, if you made a submission to the Treasury, make one to this inquiry, right? We'll get the, put the link again below at, at, on the, um, on the, on the uh, YouTube post here. And please do it. This is what this does. The, the, the more numbers that these, these senators get in terms of submissions to read, that figure, the number, you know, of thousands gets heard around the parliament, mm. right? Oh, there is a backlash against this, right? And this is, this is what almost seals the deal. This is, it's the number of submissions they get which will make them take the rest of the inquiry more serious, including holding public hearings, right? Yeah. So don't delay. Make sure you do that. Um, the other thing we need you to do, the, 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 the change.org petition that... Um, is in my name on change.org, Robert Barwick, which is stop Scott Morrison banning cash to trap Australians in banks. If you haven't signed it, get on there and sign it and share it, right? If you have signed it, share it again and share it repeatedly. We're nearly at 20,000 signers on that petition, which is very good, but we need to really ratchet that up. Every time you sign it and someone signs it, messages get sent to the politicians who are listed on there, right? Yeah. That's very important. Now, there's other developments that are happening as well, though, Craig, which shows you that this is taking on a life of its own, yep. right? And the headline, which I should have probably used in the, in the main headline, is the Liberals are revolting. Oh. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, this is, this is crucial. The Liberal Party, um, there's an in, this is a Liberal Party policy, the cash ban. The Liberal government's pushing it. The Liberal Party is in a full-blown insurrection on this behind the scenes. So, for instance, here in Victoria, where, we're, where we are, there is a group in the state Liberal Party who have pushed for a motion to be debated at the council of the, of the state party next month, calling on the government to withdraw the cash ban. Um, it's called the, the Withdrawal of the Currency Bill 2019. They're calling on the federal government to reaffirm its commitment to individual freedom and free enterprise by withdrawing the bill. They argue that banning cash is an illiberal policy which erodes civil liberties 
and conflicts with the party's fundamental principles of individual freedom and free enterprise. So these are basically true believer, true blue liberals saying this is not what we're supposed to stand for, right? Um, I would question whether the party actually stands for that, but I don't question whether they believe it. They no, actually do believe it, right? Yeah. And they're, they're calling their own party's bluff on it. Um, very importantly, they, they state that this legislation will expose individuals to prosecution and other objectionable government policies, quote, including negative interest rates and deposit bail-in. So that message is getting through as well, right, into the Liberal Party. So this is, this is quite a development. And I think, Robbie, just, just yesterday we had a rather dramatic development here in, or with the Commonwealth Bank. Yes. Their, their entire system went down. In fact, not just all afternoon. minutes, all afternoon. So where does that leave people in terms of transactions? There's no, if there's no cash, yep. everyone is completely vulnerable. Even, so put aside the ulterior motive we've exposed. This is nuts, yeah, right? What they're herding people into is a system that's absolutely nuts. And they're going to say, oh, no, it's only $10,000. But we know, as we've said, they've already put $2,000 on the table. And, and, this and, is the beginning. Yeah, and the precedent, Robbie, is that in Europe, it is 1000 or 2000 yeah. euro. It's and like this is not, we're not talking out of our hands. And it hasn't shrunk the black economy. No. It's, it's actually made it grow. Two other developments in the Liberal Party, Craig, is... Um, uh, the chair of the committee that you need to make an your, your submission to, who's chairing the inquiry, Senator Slade Brockman, who's a Liberal, he was. We, we, we've been informed that at a, a, a Perth Liberal Party branch meeting, he was hassled by the members there, saying, "Look, this is not going to do. This is going to be meaningless to criminals, and not going to change their behaviour at all. It's just going to take away our rights." And they're right. And then, significantly, the Saturday paper, which is one of these new publications that's that, that sprung up in recent years, but it's become quite influential, got lots of um, well-known people writing for it. Um, they did an article on the cash ban, a very big one on Saturday, and they reported the very strong opposition from nationals Pat Conaghan, Barnaby Joyce and George Christensen, and Liberal Party's Russell Broadbent within the coalition. I just wanted to read you some of the quotes in that. Pat Conaghan, who's a brand new liberal, who used to be a criminal lawyer, actually, so he, has, he knows quite a bit about how, how, how criminals work. He said, quote, You're turning mum and dad Australians into criminals. The only people who ab will abide by the legislation are the honest people. The person it will hurt is the grandmother who decides to put a new kitchen in and pays 12000 instead of 15000 because she is paying in cash. Pat Conaghan said it had a huge response from angry constituents. And take, let that sink in. What you do, when we tell you make calls, etc., it works. It gets through to them. He's, he's, this is why he's become vocal. He, he said, people object to this. Last time I looked, cash is legal tender. People were asking him, why is the government sticking their nose in when we're doing nothing wrong? You're telling us what cash we can spend. Um, and then he also raised the question of negative interest rates. He says, if, in, if, if interest rates does go, do go below zero, the average punter is paying the bank to look after their money and therefore they should be allowed to pull out of the bank. Russell Broadbent said, I don't, know quite, I don't know quite who they're targeting. Cash is legal tender, and I wouldn't have thought $10,000 is very much anymore. I don't think it will make any difference to the crooks. And then he said this, because he's been around a while, Russell Broadbent. He said, seeking a lower price in exchange for cash was a legitimate way of negotiating. And he questioned whether the limit would reduce the black economy. Quote, the GST was meant to remove the black economy, remember? <laughs> that hasn't right? John Howard's signature reform, and, and a liberal is, is um, raising that question. So this is, this is very important development. Um, we have in the, C, the CEC has just produced a flyer. Now, it's in the centre of, of this week's alert service, but it's also standalone. Fight the totalitarian ban on cash. It's full colour. It's four pages. 
call in and get copies of that flyer to get around everywhere, right? We've got a month to really burn this up to make the biggest possible impression on that inquiry. Now, that's not the end of the fight, no. but that what we do in this month is going to be absolutely crucial. They don't have to report back till February, but really the, the, the fight is for the next month to get... Get their much, attention. Just Yeah, much information into the inquiry as possible. We have to, it's the biggest broadside they've ever received yep. from the public, right? That's, that's key. All right, let's take a quick break. Welcome back to the CEC report. IMF's $19 trillion time bomb. So, Craig, the IMF is literally in cold sweats over the financial system, and that's not to make fun of them. They deserve, they need to be. What they've identified, we all, we all should be. Um, in their half-yearly update, the IMF has identified that 40% of the corporate debt in eight leading countries, the United States, China, Japan, Germany, Britain, France, Italy, and Spain, would be impossible to service if there was a downturn half as serious as 2008. All you need is half the downturn of 2008 and 40% of the corporate debt, $19 trillion, not, wouldn't, it's not, they're not saying it would be unpayable, it's already unpayable. They wouldn't even be able to service the interest rate on it at these record low We've rates. We've been saying this for years, Robbie. Exactly. And the point is that now these groups, they're, they're, why are they coming out? Because it's got that serious. Well, we knew, I mean, long-term viewers of this show, we started the CEC report in 2010, right? Officially, if you go back and look at when I was on my own, and you get, I'd get 19 views. <laughs> anyway, the 2010 was two years after the GSC, GFC, right? And we were making the point that the bailout in the GFC did not solve the problem. It band-aged over it and pushed, kicked the can down mm -hmm. the road. The can has to stop eventually. And all they've done is create more and more and more debt. And now this is where it's undeniable anymore, right? Ambrose Evans Pritchard wrote in the Te London Telegraph on 16th of October, he said, this is his description of the IMF's report. Quantitative easing, zero interest rates, and financial repression across the board have pushed investors, and in the case of pension funds or life insurers, actually forced them into taking on ever more risk. We have created a monster. Right, that's this is this is his, that's the description of what the IMF's pointing out here. Right, this is where all this um, stimulus debt, you know, oh, we're going to have quantitative easing, we're going to have you know, lower and lower interest rates. It hasn't actually improved the economy. It's just brought us to this point. Um, another sign that we've reported here the last few months is the, the United States Federal Reserve has just announced the third extension of their intervention into the US overnight lending market called the repo market. Mm -hmm. the, the first extension, they, they first did it on the 16th of September and it was just going to be for one day. Then they said, oh, we had, they extended it the first time for two weeks. Then they said, oh, we have to extend it until the end of November. Till, sorry, until early November. We're not even at November yet, right? Yeah. They, they said then. And we haven't even arrived there yet. And now they said, okay, we're going to extend it until 2020. And at the time, we called this a wide, a gaping black hole in the financial system. It's quantitative easing by another name. They're denying they're doing quantitative easing, which remember is money printing, right? That this is what kept the world economy going for the last 10 years, but you can't keep it going that way. It's money, Robbie, that's printed by the central banks and not put into the economy. That's it's right. It's stuck into the banks. Yes. And then, and then the banks use that, you know, that corporate lending and so forth at very cheap interest rates in order to 
prop up this monetary cycle. Well, but the banks use it for the things that created the $19 trillion problem. That's, that's right. Right? Um, including, Craig, lending short-term to Australia's banks yeah. to fund our property bubble. So they asked, our banks have $300 billion that they owe overseas on 90-day terms. They've got to roll it over every three months. That's some of that money as well, right? Yeah. Um, the... So, so what the Federal Reserve tried to do was say, oh, well, let, you know, a few years ago they said we're ending quantitative easing and etc. And now that the push has come to shove, they want to go back to it, but they don't want to be looking like they're going back to it, so they're pretending they're not. But this is effectively what they're doing by another name. One of the things that they achieve by doing it in this way through the repo market, these overnight injections they do, is that they don't have to specify who's taking it. And that helps them disguise what's going on in the financial system because there's all sorts of rumours. You know, is JP Morgan one of the biggest, probably the biggest bank in the world, is JP Morgan the black hole at the moment, right? These are, these are the things that are, that are floating around. Um, now, the IMF, back to the IMF, they also, in their report, slashed global growth rates, right? The projections of global growth, including Australia's. They slashed us by more than anybody's, right? A, fu a full quarter, mm -hmm. um, 25%. And it really got... Um, Josh Frydenberg very unhappy when, when he saw that we were being compared, that, that, that our, our slowdown in growth is worse than Greece's, mm -hmm. which has been the basket case economy for a long time. But here's the deal, Craig. Um, everyone now, because of this, is calling for stimulus. We need stimulus, 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 right? But when they call for stimulus, what they're assuming is, well, we need something to turbocharge the economy that we've got. What should we be doing instead? Well, look, Robbie, we've been talking about this for a long time. The problem we've got now is we've had 40 years of what we call Montparnasse society, economic rationalism, privatisation, the takedown of actually the productive economy. You've seen entire manufacturing divisions just wiped out you know, on the idea of comparative advantage. We've got to import it because if we can import it cheaper, then yeah. we can produce it. That's smashed. Look at the dairy industry, for example, and how it's absolutely being uh, annihilated in Queensland at the moment. I mean, uh, Pauline Hanson's bringing legislation forward to try and save the their industry, which we'll report is that very, in this week's alert yeah, service, very, 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 very important. So, look, the issue is you have to look at the the, the entirety of the economy. And say, look, this, this we've got to change the structure. You've got to well, change. Just, the just on the structure, this this report came out from Harvard that made the point that our economy has very little complexity anymore. If you look at our exports yeah. and compared our raw materials exports to Angola, right? Because that's what we mainly do is raw materials exports, and we have become the banana republic. That was a deliberate Keating policy, said. though. Right, was yeah. going back to the Keating government. That was a del deliberate policy that you know you, you basically do that which you're good at. So all we do is dig stuff out of the ground. You're not be not allowed to become a manufacturing centre or anything like that. So all that capacity be shut down. Well, we've got to go back to the idea that credit in the economy is not for the banks. Yeah, credit should be for the development of the economy, particularly the productive economy, where you actually produce things. And that also includes the production of very good, high-quality infrastructure to allow the transportation of goods and people and so forth. But look, that means you've got to, first of all, deal with the existing financial structures that are, that are completely and utterly corrupt, they're rotten, which means Glass-Steagall, banking separation, separate out the necessary banking uh, system, which is very boring, go back 50 years, have a look at what banking was, that's what it needs to be today. Get rid of all the speculation. And Craig, that just for a technical point, that necessary stuff, the boring stuff, that's, that's real banking. And that's, yeah. the, that's the part of banking that can create credit. That's right. But you're limiting where it can go mm. to basically say it can only go into the real economy. Yeah. And if, if the banks don't behave themselves, then we, that's why we need a national bank. 
And we've written the legislation for this national bank, Robbie, where you have a, a government-owned bank. People say, oh, the government shouldn't be involved in banking, which is what, exactly what Joe Hockey said back in the... Financial, financial creditors shouldn't be involved in banking. Right, exactly. So you create, it through a national bank, you can then control the private banks, as was done through the Commonwealth Bank during the war years yeah. by Curtin and Chifley through regulation at that particular point. You can then create or direct the credit into the productive economy. You, you actually have to spend some money to rebuild a lot of the industries that we've lost. Why? It's because you, 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 if you're reliant on imports and you have some sort of a problem and you don't get those imports, well, it's the population that suffer because you're not producing... We had a car like industry, Craig, for over 60 years because, not because it was ever financially viable, viable, because the Commonwealth Bank in the late 1940s funded the establishment of a national car industry, right? And then Joe Hockey, the guy who said government shouldn't be involved in banking, just let it go, and we've lost all that. Yeah. And now we don't have that kind of high-tech um, edge to what we can do as an, as an economy. Well, because right? it wasn't just the production of cars, Robbie. It was everything else yep. that went yep. down. Now, we could have taken the same technology from car manufacturing and started to build magnetic levitation trains yep. for high-speed rail system. But see, the creativity of, of real economic policy doesn't, extend itself these days to anything but how to make a buck from speculation. Yeah. Real, the real future for our country, real economics has got to do with the idea of producing something for the future, something real, something yep. tangible, like either that's infrastructure or it's actually the production of goods. That's real economics. That's what has to be funded. And so the issue is we don't want to, look, we don't want to stimulate the carcass of an economy we've got now. We've got to revive the economy. That's the point. And it's right? a political decision, Robbie. It's why we've you know, changed the name of our party to the Citizens' Party. It's why we're looking at uh, the, the sort of legislation package that we have to because you, you can't continue with this mouldy idea of what the economy is yep. today. Destructive. All right. Thanks, Craig. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll change the subject to Syria. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Finally, Syria is the first country to defeat the greatest evil of our time, regime change. So there's very dramatic events in northern Syria underway, everyone can see that, between the Turks and the Kurds and, and Donald Trump's role, etc. But in the middle of this, something very important has happened. Syria has regained control of more of its territory. The Kurds when they are faced with being annihilated by the Turks, have turned to the Syrian government, which is their government, however much they want to reject it, to say, you've got to save us, and the Syrian government have moved in. Now, people are criticising Trump's decision, but Trump's decision is driven by a campaign promise he made, but also this belief, and I'm going to play a quote from Trump, which is 100% right. Wars produce only chaos and bloodshed, and all of the blood and treasure we sacrificed made the Middle East less, it's really, it's less safe, it's less stable, and it's less secure. And I say it all the time, the single greatest mistake our country made in its history was going in to the quicksand of the Middle East. We spent $8 trillion and lost thousands of lives. And by the way, the other side, we can talk about that, lost millions of lives. What did we do? That is exactly right. And our, our organisation for 20 years fought that every step of the way. 
and we fought the excuses and we fought the lies and and every every excuse was a lie, right? right? And they made up all sorts of lies to justify this stuff. And Donald Trump is not just right that it's the biggest disaster in American history. He's also the only person to be honest about the consequences, that the death toll in the Middle East is in the millions. People don't take that seriously enough because what? It's not Australians? No, it's in the millions. And to all my China basher friends, while America was killing, and Britain and, and we, our complicity, we were killing millions, what was China doing? Raising millions out of poverty and helping build infrastructure around the world. They are not the evil. This is the evil in the world. So now start, people start starting to dawn on people. There's footage emerging of Turkish-backed forces that are massacring Kurds. And some Americans are shocked, Craig, because they recognise these, these forces are the same rebels that we've been championing for eight years against Assad. Yep. It's like, oh, who are they? They are people. Yeah, they're your people. They're like the, the, including the White Helmets. The White Helmets was one of these groups that was championed around the world. They are a Turkish-backed, British-backed fraud operation that they're only ever active in in these ISIS and Al Qaeda territories. Right? In 2012, the US um, DIA, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency under General Michael Flynn, they did a, a memo to the Obama administration, and they identified. In that memo, they identify, this, this came out in 2015 when it, when it, through freedom of information, that the United States, United Kingdom, France, Turkey and Saudi Arabia were behind this uprising in Syria against Assad. The same report said that US arms were going to the Salafists, the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Right? In other words, they, they were actual terrorists that, that they were funding. And it's, this is what we were saying all the time, that what happened in Syria, it's the same operations and the same people behind Syria, that were behind Libya, that were behind Iraq, that were behind Ukraine, and all the ones that we've been fighting. And we see it in Hong Kong today. I want to read a quote from Zero Hedge um, on the 15th of August 2016, put up this story, the true story about of how the war broke out in Syria. And there's this quote in there about the method. Quote, in any uprising, there needs to be grassroots support. Usually there is a situation which arises and protesters take to the streets. The security teams, that is the police, step in to take, keep the peace and clear the streets. And if there is a brutal crackdown, the otherwise peaceful protesters will react with indignation and feeling oppressed and wronged, the numbers in the streets will swell. This is the point where the pro street protests can take two directions. The protesters will back down and go home, or the protesters can react with violence, which will then be met with violence from the security teams, and this sets the stage for a full-blown uprising. And this has been repeated again and again and again, and it's being repeated now in Hong Kong, except that the, the Chinese military haven't moved in there like people have been forecasting they would, right? And um, you compare that to, we just put out a press release about Ecuador, for instance, yeah. right, where there's a, the, the, the same president that betrayed Julian Assange to the British and Americans has just cracked down on protests in his streets, even killing them, and it's not even making the news, right? But when it's a targeted operation by the United States and the United Kingdom, it's all over the place, and that's what happened in Syria. Anyway, in 2015, Russia intervened at Syria's request, and consequently, four years later, you've now got a complete turnaround in the situation, etc. Craig, what should we learn from these regime change disasters? Well, apart from the fact that they don't work, Robert, you have to support the sovereignty of countries and the internal governments. The Assad regime has been, you know, vic um, you know, seen to be a, um, you know, a tyr tyrannical government. It's actually not true. This is because they well, well refugees weren't leaving before this no, started, they, and now they, they're going back. And it's got to do with the interests of the West. They want to destabilise that area, you know, for all sorts of different geopolitical gains. 
you start mucking around with the actual lawful governments of countries, you end up destroying the country. So, so you can get sucked into all the claims about our oh, human rights, etc. But look at the big picture and learn from these mistakes, right? right? And now we need to be doing that vis-a-vis -vis China and Hong Kong and what the US is doing there. Craig, we're out of time. Yep. Thanks for tuning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.